0: The story is once told of an eighteenth century Scottish preacher by the name of Hector Macphail. As you study the life of that man, Hector, you will discover that like many others it was a life that was filled with much disappointment, much doubt. You see, Hector Macphail, he pastored a little church in a small village called Riolis in Scotland. But this man actually wasn't a Christian. He wasn't saved. There was never a time that he'd come to that true and saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day as that man lay on his deathbed, as he contemplated the eternity that awaited him, the story goes that he fell into a deep sleep and he began to dream. And in that dream, Hector MacPhail was standing outside the gates of heaven. He looked at the scene around him. He noticed a group in the distance. It appeared to be the Old Testament saints. And included among those Old Testament saints, you had Abraham, you had Moses, and you had David. They entered into heaven through those gates. And as they passed through those gates, Hector MacPhail heard a voice speaking to him and had asked the question What about you? Can you go in with them? Can you go in with Abraham who lied to Pharaoh about his wife Sarah? Can you go in with Moses who disobeyed the command of God? He was told to speak to the rock and he struck the rock. Can you go in with King David who committed adultery and murder? And Hector Macphail, he responded with these words No Lord, I'm a greater sinner than them all, and there's no room for me. Another group came along, this time it was the New Testament saints. Yet Peter denied the Lord. You had Thomas, who doubted the Lord. You had Paul, who persecuted Christians. Paul, who's called the chief of sinners. Well, Hector, can you go in with these men? And again, the response was, no, Lord. I'm much greater of a sinner than these men. I can't go in. Then came the early church fathers, Scottish covenanters, the reformers, Martin Luther, John Knox. Even his own congregation came to those gates. And this man who'd pastored that church, he knew their faults, he knew their failings, and that they were able to enter into heaven. What about you? Can you go in? No, Lord, I'm too great a sinner. Finally, there would emerge a single solitary figure, and Hector MacPhail had no idea who this man was. And so it was his turn now to ask the question, Who is he? Is this man going to be able to enter in, Lord? And the voice responded by saying, This man is Manasseh. The one who filled the streets with Jerusalem with the blood of the saints. And Hector, can you go in with him? He woke out of a dream at that point. He continued to think about that dream. He continued to think about this man Manasseh, the man we read about here in 2 Chronicles 33. And he thought about the sins this man committed and it gave him great hope for his own spiritual condition. If there's room in heaven... For a man like Manasseh, then surely there's room for me too. And that night was the night that Hector MacPhail finally put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And society would look at a man like Manasseh and they would write him off. He's he's no hope. There's no chance that he'd ever be in heaven. And you thank God tonight that salvation does not depend upon a man's opinion. In this account of Manasseh, we learn many important lessons. We learn, yes, of course, the dangers of sin, but we also are brought to see the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God towards sinners. And the Apostle Paul, he testifies to that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, those familiar words, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And Manasseh's conversion, it teaches us that there's room in heaven for the greatest of sinners who come through the blood of Jesus Christ that irrespective of the depths of sin to which a person might descend, there's pardon and there's cleansing from that sin. Because what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, God will never refuse those who seek him tonight with a truly repentant heart. And that is good news tonight. It's tremendous news tonight for you in Coleraine without Christ. The story of Manasseh reveals a very important truth for you tonight. What is that truth? It's that God's grace is greater than your sin. His grace is greater than your sin. And that's really what I want us to focus upon tonight. God's grace is greater than your sin. And I have three very, very simple points that I want to leave with you tonight from this passage. First thing we see tonight in these words is the rebellion of Manasseh that was evident. The rebellion of Manasseh that was evident and there are two aspects to Manasseh's rebellion that I want to leave with you. See Manasseh, he rebelled firstly despite the great advantage that he had. The great advantage Manasseh had, what was it? One of the greatest privileges, one of the greatest advantages that any person can have in life is to be born into a Christian home. It's to sit under the influence of godly parents, to be instructed by them. And that was certainly a privilege that this man Manasseh enjoyed, because in verse 3 we read that his father was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was by no means perfect, like all men he'd sinned, like all men he'd failed. And yet at the same time, we read about Hezekiah, and we can say tonight that he was one of the godliest men that we read about in the Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 31 and verse 20, it gives a summary of his life. And we read in that verse, And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And therefore we can be certain that Hezekiah would have had a positive influence upon Manasseh's life. He would have taught Manasseh the things of God from an early age will sought to bring him up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And you consider Hezekiah's life prior to this point and you find, and you read about many examples in which the Lord had been merciful, he'd been gracious to Hezekiah. Isaiah chapter 37, for example, it tells us of that great account of Sennacherib. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers surround the city of Jerusalem. God delivered Hezekiah from Danger. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. The Lord sent an angel, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers wiped out. In the very next chapter, Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 1, we read that Hezekiah was sick unto death. He didn't have long to live. Isaiah the prophet had come and told him, You need to get your affairs in order because your life is over. And again, we see the mercy of God because Hezekiah prays to the Lord and the Lord spurs his life. He adds 15 more years to Hezekiah's life. Three years later, Manasseh is born. And I've read this account so many times, and it's wonderful how the Lord just puts something in your heart. If Hezekiah hadn't been given those 15 years, Manasseh would never have been born. It wouldn't have reigned for 55 years. All of the wickedness, all of the cruelty that he inflicted upon those people. And yet, what does it teach us? That God is sovereign in all things and God has a purpose for everyone. You know what? Hezekiah was nothing short of a living miracle. A living miracle. And I'm sure Manasseh would have heard about all the things that happened. To his father on numerous occasions, but he was unmoved by it. Would have been a constant reminder every day of the power and of the grace of God, and yet nothing. And does that not fly in the face tonight of those who would make the claim, If I saw a miracle, I believe. If Jesus Christ came into my life, if he did something miraculous, then I'd become a Christian. Manasseh saw a miracle every single day. He looked at his father. He'd seen what God had done in his life, but he was totally unmoved by it. He was opposed to his father's God. And I love studying the names in the Bible. We can learn so much just through a simple name. They reveal a lot about a person's life, the life they lived. And you take these two men here. Hezekiah means strengthened by Jehovah. It means Jehovah is my strength. You have Manasseh, it means causing to forget. And if ever two names were more appropriate for two individuals, it is that of Hezekiah and that of Manasseh. Spurred for 15 years. Helped in many battles. Truly, Jehovah had been Hezekiah's strength. But you look at Manasseh, you read everything that he did here in 2 Chronicles 33, and he certainly forgot his father's God. Turned his back on all his father taught him, he detested everything his father had done. Second Chronicles chapter 33 and the verse 2, what does it say? Manasseh did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And again, what a contrast it is to Hezekiah. There's just a few chapters back in Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 2. We read the words Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And you think about these two men, what can we learn from their relationship? We can certainly learn that as Christian parents, we have a great responsibility to teach our children the ways of the Lord. Ought to pray for our children. We ought to encourage our children when they show an interest in the things of God, but our faith in God cannot save them. Because salvation tonight is personal to every single individual. Every individual must personally come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your parents' faith tonight will never get you into heaven. And I make that point tonight because there are so many people and they have that kind of attitude. Mom and dad saved. My aunt and uncle, they're Christians. My granny and granda, my brother and sister, they're Christians. And therefore that means I'm going to go to heaven because they're saved. And we see this reality played out for us in the world, but also in, in the word of God. If you turn over for a moment tonight to John's Gospel, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and I want you to read verse 39 with me. John chapter 8, verse 39, really just the opening words. We have the Pharisees here. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. And they're speaking to Christ here. Christ is speaking to them. It says in verse 39, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And really what they're saying is this, that because we're descendants of Abraham, because we come from his family line, we're guaranteed to be in heaven. But you look at how Christ responds. You look down at verse 44. Look what Christ says to them. He says, ye are of your father, the devil. And in essence, what Christ is saying is this. Yes, you're part of a certain family. Good bloodline, the right name. But this is your true spiritual condition in the sight of God. You're a child of the devil. You're dead in your trespasses and your sins. And because of that, you need to personally come to the Lord in repentance and faith. If you're ever to be in heaven with your father, Abraham. And the same is true tonight for you without Christ. Because you need to personally come to him. You cannot possibly expect to enter heaven on the back of somebody else's profession of faith. You need a personal, you need a genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I say that because when you stand before the Lord, and the Bible says we all will stand before the Lord one day, you're going to stand alone. Nobody else will be with you. You'll be on your own. And that is because salvation is personal to every single individual. And every individual in this world will be judged on an individual basis. So Manasseh here, he rejected the advantage he had. But in rebelling against God, he was also responsible for the greatest of atrocities. And we read about these in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, 2 Kings chapter 21. You read the various sins he's involved in. It's almost as if he'd set his mind to be as outrageous, to be as shocking as he could be. How bad a sin can I possibly commit? How far can I go? And I say that because what I can gather from my study of Manasseh is he does absolutely nothing to hide his sin from others. His sin gave him a great sense of pride. And again, is the spirit of Manasseh not prevalent in society tonight. People might not be living and doing the sins that Manasseh is charged with. But many are living in open sin. Many take great pride in what they're doing. They rejoice in it. They're overly shocking, aren't they? In order to see the reaction they can get from others. And you look at some of the sins he's charged with. There's witchcraft. There's idolatry. There's desecrating the temple. There's murder. There's child sacrifice. And what can we learn from that list of sins? It teaches us that sin will always take you further than you imagine it's going to. will always take you further. How quickly something seemingly innocent and benign can become something that is much more sinister. wonder how long it was before the building up of idols wasn't enough for Manasseh. He moved on to murder. He moved on to sacrificing innocent children to a pagan god. And some commentators, you read, and they've even suggested that it was Manasseh who was responsible for the death of the prophet Isaiah. He cut Isaiah in two. What an awful death. And again, people will look at Manasseh and they'll say to themselves, well, I'm okay then. My sin's not anywhere near as bad as his sin. Yes, I committed what you term to be sin tonight, what the Bible says sin is, but I've never done anything like this. And rather than accepting that they have sinned and they need to repent of that sin, they simply deflect, they simply point the finger at other people and say, look at them. Their sin is much bigger than my sin. And if anybody's going to be in hell, it's going to be that person. It's not going to be me. Nobody ever thinks they're as bad as Manasseh. The Adolf Hitlers of this world, nobody's as bad as that. But the reality tonight is this. Whether you view your sin as big or small, it is equally offensive to a holy God. And it will equally condemn you to hell for all eternity if you do not repent of that sin. And you can come to meetings like this tonight. You can wear what you deem to be the right dress. Bring a Bible with you. Say the right words to the right people. And outwardly everything appears to be well with you. But inwardly your heart is full of sin. And whilst others cannot see it, there's one who sees everything and that is God. God knows the condition of every one of our hearts tonight. And one of the worst things you could ever do is to die on a profession of I'm religious I'm a good person. I went to church all my life and think you're going to be okay because the Bible says you won't be. Ignorance will not be an excuse on the day of judgment. It will bring you to hell in the same way. That's the rebellion tonight that Manasseh was involved in and it was very evident in his life. But following on from that, the second thing we see in this passage is the ruin that ensued because of that rebellion. See, whenever a person is in rebellion against God, when they're living in sin, you can be certain that it would eventually lead to that person's ruin. And we see that played out in a remarkable way here. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Manasseh's sin, Manasseh's rebellion had cost him everything. By taking Manasseh away from the land of Jerusalem, the Lord's in effect taking him away from the throne. And Manasseh could do absolutely nothing to prevent the Lord from doing that. And you look at the way he was treated by the king of Assyria. There was no thought for who he was. No thought for his office as king. It tells us they took him among the thorns and they bound him with feathers. They put him in chains. The word thorns there, it means hooks. It means rings. It's a common practice used by the Assyrian army. They would have put rings through the nose, rings through the lips, and they would have paraded their captives right through the crowd. You see that in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 29. You picture that in your mind tonight. And in essence what we see, Manasseh is treated like an animal. Led to the slaughter. And all of those false idols, all of those false gods could do nothing to stop it from happening. Nothing to help Manasseh when he needed it most. And that's how it is with false religion. It's how it is with the gods of our imagination. Because they will fail us at the time when we need them most. And the truth is, we see it very evidently, that Manasseh had to learn a hard lesson. He learned tonight from this passage that man's sin will cost you everything, but it will pay you nothing in return. And it's the same tonight if you are living in sin. Whether that's open sin like Manasseh or hidden sin, the reality of the Word of God is the same. Be sure your sin will find you out. It will find you out. James puts it another way in James chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And the sad reality is tonight that nobody ever looks at sin that way. They never look at the end of sin. They never look at the consequences that their sin will bring. They only see the good in it. They only see the pleasure, the comfort, the enjoyment that it brings. But the reality that James puts tonight in the word of God remains, it will bring forth death when it's finished with you. Eternal judgment in hell. Paul tells us about that judgment in Romans chapter 2 verse 16. In that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Similar words over in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and 14 for God shall bring every work into judgment. Every secret thing, whether that thing be good or whether that thing be evil. And the question I want to ask every one of you tonight is this. What will you bring before the Lord on that day? What reason, what excuse will you bring to the Lord on the day of judgment as to why the Lord should overlook your sin and why he should allow you entry into heaven? Lord, I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was doing. Ignorance, the Bible says, will not excuse you in the day of judgment. I didn't hear the gospel. No, you heard the gospel tonight. I never had the opportunity to get saved. You have the opportunity to be saved right now. Every time you come through the doors, every time you hear the gospel preached, every time someone witnesses you to you and tells you about Christ, you have the opportunity to be saved, and yet you've turned your back in rebellion. Lord, what about my my good works? I'm a good person, Lord, my religion, my self-righteousness. In other words, Lord, I'm acceptable. That's what it means to be righteous. I'm acceptable. What does the Bible say about man's righteousness? It says they are as filthy rags in the sight of God. The only thing that will outweigh your sin on the day of judgment is the perfect righteousness of Christ. It is only through Christ that you can ever hope to stand as being acceptable before God on that day. Rebellion that was evident The ruin that ensued because of that rebellion. But thirdly and finally tonight, we see the restoration then that Manasseh experienced. He was restored. God took this man, this wicked individual, involved in the most depraved of sin, and he brought Manasseh to an end of himself, and Manasseh was gloriously saved. And how exactly did it happen? Well, we read about it here in 2 Chronicles 33. There are three very simple thoughts. You look at how verse 10 begins. And the Lord spake to Manasseh. That's the first thing. The Lord spoke to Manasseh. You see, true repentance, true restoration, it always begins when the Lord speaks to an individual. And whenever that individual responds in a positive way. But how does the Lord speak to us today? He speaks through his word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the greatest privilege that anyone could ever hope to have in this life is that the Lord would speak to them. Manasseh, he didn't see it that way at this time in verse 10. But you read on in verse 10, it tells us, he hearkened not. In other words, he didn't listen. He paid no attention to the warning given at the time. And because of that, then the Lord had to send affliction. That's the second thing. He sent affliction into Manasseh's life. And we already knew that in verse 11 what that involved. King of Assyria came. He took Manasseh prisoner. He brought him to Babylon. And Manasseh, he would have almost found it impossible to see it as a merciful act. It was merciful that what the Lord did to Manasseh. Could have destroyed him right there and then because of his sin. He could have damned him to hell for all eternity. It's what he deserved. It's what every sinner deserves. It's what we all deserve. We were all born in sin. We we're all shaping in iniquity. We've all failed the Lord. And we deserve God's wrath. But Manasseh was shown mercy. He took him away from Jerusalem. He took him away from that place where he was committing sin. He took him away. Out of sin, put him in prison. Give him time to reflect. He couldn't sin in the way he was accustomed to. Give him time to reflect and think about what his father had taught him as a child. And again, as I thought about Manasseh's salvation, I think it proves a wonderful truth that you learn and you teach your children. Proverbs chapter twenty-two and verse six says, "Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it." When he's older. When he says he shall not depart, it's literally he will not easily depart from it. He studied Manasseh's life. Did everything that he could to run away from his father's God. But he evidently never forgot truly those things he was taught as a child. Give me the most tremendous comfort as a parent with children. Manasseh here, then the final thing he had to do. So the Lord spoke to Manasseh the Lord sent affliction, but then Manasseh, he sought the Lord. And that's how verse 12 begins. It says, and when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. What a contrast, what a wonderful contrast you read in verse 12 to what you have in verse 10. Because when the Lord speaks to Manasseh in verse 10, Manasseh doesn't listen. But when Manasseh first speaks to the Lord in verse 12, the Lord hears Manasseh immediately. And you read what follows on in verse 13. He prayed unto him. He was entreated of him and he heard his supplication. And it had taken Manasseh so long to get to this point. Verse 1 tells us he was one of the youngest kings. He began his reign at 12. He reigned for the, the longest time, 55 years. But it was only toward the end of his life that he humbled himself, that he was humbled. That he was brought to an end of himself, that he was saved that he cried out in mercy. And when Manasseh cried out unto the Lord for mercy, what did the Lord do? He didn't say, Manasseh, you should have done it a long time ago. And yes, he should have. He didn't say, Manasseh, you've had your chance. There's too much sin. You're too late. Such a thing would be impossible for our God to do. And I say that because whenever a sinner comes to the Lord with a true and a genuine repentant heart, the Lord always hears that person and the Lord always saves that person. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what we read in Romans 10 verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Manasseh called upon the Lord all those years ago. The Lord heard his cries and Manasseh was graciously saved. And in verse 12, we read that Manasseh was able to call him the Lord his God. He was Manasseh's God. And had it not been for the account here in 2 Chronicles 33, would we have actually believed such a thing possible? We would have written Manasseh off a long time ago. No hope for him. And I make that statement in closing tonight. Because maybe that's exactly how somebody feels here in Korean. And you've been praying for a loved one for so long now, and yet you see nothing. They're not saved. Maybe a child, and that child was brought up in a godly home. Scriptures read every day to them at home. Went to all the meetings, children's meetings, Sunday school, youth meetings, Bible class, every church every Sunday. You see them now and they're so far away from God so caught up in their sin, they're so caught up in their pleasure, and you've almost given up hope for them. Manasseh lived that way for many years. He continually rejected his father's God, and yet God saved him. And I'm sure there were people in Manasseh's life, and they would have prayed for Manasseh, and how long they would have prayed for Manasseh, but you know what? The Lord answered that prayer, and the Lord saved that man. And the wonderful thing is tonight that the God that saved Manasseh is the same God we serve today. And because of that, he can save your loved ones in an instant. He can save my loved ones in an instant. And if nothing else, that ought to give us tremendous encouragement to keep on praying for them. It seems true tonight if you're here and you're living on unconfessed sin. And you've allowed yourself to think, well, my sin's far too bad and the Lord, he's done with me. He'll never save me. Manasseh was a great sinner. You read through what Manasseh did. God spoke to him. Turned his life around. Transformed him. And if God was willing. And he was able to do that for a man as wicked as Manasseh. He can do it for anybody here in Corian. Why? Because the Bible tells me in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. That he's not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. And God had to bring affliction into Manasseh's life in order that he might see that. The Lord had to break Manasseh. Stubborn pride. Had to humble Manasseh. Had to bring him to his knees. But you know what? The Lord saved him. And the question I want to leave with you tonight, if you're in your sin, is what will it take for the Lord to humble you? Can you be saved tonight? Yes, you can be saved. How can you be saved tonight? By doing what Manasseh did all of those years ago, by coming to the Lord on your knees in repentance. By confessing that you're a sinner and that you need the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. And if you do that tonight, I guarantee you from the word of God, he will save you and he will keep you for all eternity. That is the greatest thing you will ever hear in your life. That despite the fact we have all sinned, we have all let the Lord down, that the Lord is still willing to save you tonight. What do you need to do? You need to humble yourself. Get rid of that selfish pride. We all have prayed, I want to come my own way. No, come the Lord's way. It's the only way that will work. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I trust and pray, if you're not saved tonight, you will do that tonight. You'll call upon his name. And you will be saved tonight for time and for eternity. So I want to close tonight. I want to sing just our, our closing hymns. Just two verses. Hymn 458 is found in page 361. It's based on the words of 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. May I we'll stand please as we get our introduction. We'll sing these two verses in the chorus. We'll make it our closing him, please. I start a sing please. Eternal God and our Father, we just thank Thee for the amazing grace, the sufficient grace that Paul spoke about. We thank Thee tonight that that grace is sufficient tonight to save the worst of sinners. And we pray tonight, Lord, that the words that we've heard tonight will have made an impact in all of our hearts and all of our lives. particularly, Lord, for those tonight without Christ, that you'll not allow them to run off any longer, that you'll not have them to continue in rebellion, but tonight, Lord, you'll take them to an end of themselves, and you'll graciously and miraculously save them. You'll turn their life around for time and eternity. We pray you'll continue to speak on, Lord, save souls up and down this land, save souls in this church, save souls in the upcoming mission, and, O Lord, we pray even in anticipation that you'll do it. O Lord, bring glory to thy name through it, Oh, Lord, take us now to our homes in safety. Be with us, Lord, this week as we step out in service for thee. Give us opportunities to reach the lost. For it's in Jesus' name we pray those things. Amen.